Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Hi, everybody. It's Script Shop Show. Da, 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 da. I'm Jack. I'm Allison. You see what's going on right here? We're getting the... You see what I'm doing? Yeah. Well, uh, da, 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 I wish I didn't da, have da. to see this, but... Here's the thing. I know that we don't necessarily release these shows in order. Sequential order, because we have uh, behind-the-curtains tips and tricks up our sleeves. That's right. Or in, like, necessarily a timely fashion, but here's yeah. the thing. This is the first show that we're recording since we've actually gone live and put the show out there yeah. into the world. Yeah, so we're kind of pumped about it. Yeah, this is a fun, I'm I'm super jazzed. Also, the stakes are high because if we still are terrible, <laughs> yeah. then what are we doing? That's right, the stakes are still very high. Yeah, uh, I guess if we're still terrible, then I'm okay with it because I'm not having a good time. I mean, it's important just to be consistent, if nothing else, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to surprise uh, anybody with a good episode every now and again. <laughs> Hi, everybody. This is Script Shop. This is a show where we talk to screenwriters about their work, about themselves. And uh, like I said, this is Allison. Yep, that's me. And I'm Jack. And here we are. And here we are. We are here to uh, talk today to Brian Dobbins. Brian Dobbins is here in town. He's a local writer here in the Cincinnati whoop, area. Whoop, Cincy, Cincy. Which we're super stoked about because it's always nice to have an actual warm body in the studio. <laughs> I mean, or a cold one. Don't say warm body. That's <laughs> anyway, Brian wrote a narrative feature called Dead Husband in a Western Town. Westerns today. Western day. Ciao, ciao. Pew, pew, pew. I didn't bring my little cap gun. <clears throat> it's an 82-page narrative feature. It is produced. Um, And this Western world involves female bad guys, Um, some gambling, some Mm -hmm. murder. What else we got? Dirt roads. Dirt roads. Horses. Horses. (laughs) Uh, Insert horse sound. Can you do any good horse sounds? Not not good ones. Frank, I bet, can, though. Frank? He's shaking his head now. He just did one of those... Like the, mm. Yeah, so pretty much sounds. we're right there. Anyway, so yeah, uh, and this is our first produced script, isn't it? Is this um, our first produced script? Yes. Like we've had some people with like sizzle reels and stuff. Yep, but Yep. Because I'm just thinking about the episodes that we've aired. All those guys, a lot of those people have produced other work, but right, not right. necessarily the one that we're talking about. That they're talking about. to us about. Right. So, Brian, thank you. For, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. We haven't introduced him yet. Sorry. Well, I'm just going to silently thank Brian on the side with a thumbs up. <laughs> Big thank you to iHeartMedia Cincinnati. They provide us with the uh, facilities here to do the show. We're always very grateful for that. <clears throat> thank, thank you. Thank you, iHeartMedia Cincinnati. And listeners, if you are liking what you're hearing and you want more of us, because how could you possibly not, you should look us up on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Script Shop Show. Script Shop Show on all three of those platforms. We keep it fresh, we keep it real, we keep it funky. <laughs> and if you're interested in being on this funky show with us, you can send in your scripts um, through our website. So go to scriptshopshow.com, click submit, send us your work. We're sitting here literally waiting for it. Yeah, we like new stuff. We want we want your stuff. And by that, I mean your writing. <laughs> writing only, please. So now let's welcome to the show who's uh, Brian Dobbins, who's been sitting here through all this nonsense just now. 
Good morning. Hi, Brian. Yeah. yeah it's been pretty entertaining nonsense. Mm, thank Can you. Can I make one comment right off? Please. Yeah. You you said you don't do good horse sounds, <laughs> uh, and you mentioned mud streets. Uh, you know, when we shot this, we spent eight days living in an old west town. Ooh, man. Okay. I heard some unfortunate horse sounds. Uh. <laughs> yeah. And, and there was a lot of mud. There was a lot of mud to step yeah, in. That's so. good luck, though, right? If you step in horse mud, it's supposed okay. to be good luck, in the, no, like the racing world, at least. It doesn't seem like it at the time, but I'm, I'm going to take your word for that. I think it's just a way of dressing up something that's unfortunate, and you try that's to make yourself feel better terrible. about it. You're yeah. like, I just bought these great shoes. <laughs> but I should maybe have we'll a win. lot of good luck coming my way. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brian, you are Cincinnati-based. Yes. Have you? Were you born and raised here? I was born and raised here in Cincinnati, and, you know, with a couple of detours to a couple of different places, a couple of different states. Like I've where? Where else here. did you go? I've lived in Kentucky off and on, and Florida for a little while. Yeah. Uh, but I keep... I keep migrating back like a bird to <laughs> my home turf. Yeah. When the Dobbins come back <laughs> to Cincinnati. That worked out way too well. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't bring my harmonica. <laughs> um, have you always been a writer? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, writer slash as I can remember. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I know uh, my best friend and I back in the fifth grade started doing comic books. Oh, my gosh. That we we actually would take to school. And uh, we had a little letter section that our, our classmates would write in and everything. Like printing out and distributing them to classmates? We weren't classmates? printing them out. We okay. were just taking the originals to school when people were reading them. And, uh, no kidding. Uh, wow. Uh, but we did, uh, yeah, we did type out a letters page. On a typewriter? Well, on a typewriter, <laughs> an Underwood typewriter. Oh. Yeah, in the fifth grade, my best friend and I both wanted, we lived a house apart, as I told you earlier. Yeah. And uh, he, we both wanted the same two things for christmas one year a typewriter and weights <laughs> uh, and knowing that neither of us would get both we lived in norwood it was uh, not a wealthy community um he asked for the weights i asked for the typewriter oh. so we had both yeah you, you hedged your smart. bets that's right yeah that's right. we weren't as dumb as we looked so you started with comic books which interestingly Correct. seems to be a common thing with We've a lot that. of our writers i wonder if like you know you're plotting out yeah. Camera shots in your head, kind of. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what. It's a great way to tell a story because it's words and pictures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, we did comics also later when we were adults. And the the goal of a comic book writer is to be able to tell the story with just the pictures, with, with no dialogue. With no words. Right. Mm-hmm. So you work for that, and then you uh, you put in the words. And we had some pretty cool stories. Um, and that's one reason why I, I think that any comic book artist makes a good uh, storyboard artist. Mm-hmm. Because mm. it's literally the same thing. It has that same goal. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, Steve Scross was the guy that storyboarded all the Matrix stuff. Yeah. There have been a lot of those guys that have gotten involved yeah, in that stuff for sure. Because you're trying to tell the story literally with just the picture. Right. right. And, you know, and just to throw back to one of our other episodes, but Chris Pinner does comic He's... A, a graphic artist, and he does a lot of comic book work. Okay, too. Um, he did the holdup, right? Um, and so that's just really interesting that that's like part of his current life is is doing scripts and then comic books as well. Well, I think when you're you know you're talking about being a kid, Brian. I think that when you're a kid also, and you start like reading comic books, I, I, for me anyway, oh, when man. I did it, your imagination just explodes. Yeah. And I'm an old guy. So I was reading comic books. This time period I'm talking about was Marvel's Silver Age. Yeah, right. Back in the, yeah, the 60s. Where Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four, the Avengers, 
Iron Man, all these people that are huge now, that's when they were introduced. Yeah. Uh, so it was a great time for comic books. That yeah. is really special to get like those characters for the very first time. Oh, yeah. Ever. Because now it is like pop culture and it's part of all of our lives. Those symbols are so well known. But to see them for the first time. First time I went to New York City, uh, we went there. We were 17 years old. We slept in a Volkswagen and uh, stayed for a big comic book convention where I got to meet Stan Lee before you had to what? pay yeah. and stand in line to meet Stan Lee. Right. Wow. That's and so cool. The, the second time, uh, we actually got a hotel room. And, <laughs> moving uh, on up. Moving on up. Uh, and the highlight of that trip was meeting Frank Frazetta. Mm. The great artist. Oh, yeah, the the um, Death Dealer, the the guy on the horse, that picture with the, with the, the axe and all that. For the Conan things, yeah. and we actually saw the originals for those covers. This one of the nicest men I've ever met in my life. Uh, the first night we everybody was there, his hotel room was open, and he had the original paintings for all those covers, just sitting out across the room, and they're drawn. They were done on anything, anything he had to work with, you know, plywood or. Wow. Oh, wow. And True artist. Man, this he was great. He was a great artist. I met him a couple times, and uh, just the most gracious guy you could imagine. I mean, somebody who opens their hotel room exactly. to anybody to come see these things, yeah. that is very gracious. And he did that until his wife said, okay, everyone has to go. Now, yeah, Frank's I'm tired. tired. <laughs> well, she said Frank was getting tired, but yeah. I think she was She's the tired bouncer. of us. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to talk to him uh, at length the next day, so that was nice. Yeah. So... You have been a comic book artist, and then yeah. you mentioned that you did it when you were a bit older as well. Yeah, but wh- when did you think that things like comic books started changing into more words? Into graphic novels? Uh, yeah, is that yeah. the next step? Well, yeah. just words on paper in general, like you know, going from worrying about visuals overtly to just getting some words down, like with, exactly. with a script. You know, I've watched a lot of media change because I am an old guy, and I've been doing this for so long. Uh, comic books have changed. I think that prob- by then I had kind of gotten out of comic books, so I'm not sure I could tell you exactly when that mm-hmm. started taking place. But I'm going to say, I mean, you look at Frank Miller, who did Sin City and things like that. That really started making that transition. Mm-hmm. But I've seen, uh, you know, I write novels too, and I've seen publishing change. Um, I've only been doing screenplays since, well, I wrote the first one. I wrote this one in 2015, mm-hmm. so um, I don't. I've only gauged changes in film as a viewer. Right. When did you first write your first novel? First novel, uh, I think, was in 2004. Yeah. Now, up to then, I've been writing magazine articles and short uh, stories and all types of other. I've written just about everything you can write. Right. Um, I, I even wrote a little bit of poetry for a while, but that was just because I was interested in some young lady. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's always Romance. practical. I had to pretend to be sensitive. Right. Uh, sure. <laughs> pretend. Come on. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, first novel was in 2004. And I've got, since then, I've, I've had five published. I've got two different novel series. Yeah. They're so different that I have two different publishers. What, what are they about? Yeah. Well, the the one series is a Western series. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the Coryville series. I stole the name from a location here in Cincinnati. Um, and I've, as there's been – that I, I've always pictured as a trilogy. There's two books out on that. And I've got a 
write the third one as soon as they make a 28-hour day. <laughs> and then the other series, that's published by Solstice Publishing, uh, out west somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other series is a urban fantasy. I'm told it's urban fantasy. Uh, it's a witchcraft detective series. Ooh. And that's published by Postmortem Press. Mm-hmm. Now, the very first one of those was actually published by Al Tudor at West Street Books, who was the guy publishing our comic books. I had this idea for a comic book, which was a witch and a detective. The wife's a witch, the husband's a detective. And he thought it would make a good series, comic book series. So I started writing it, but then it just started getting bigger. So he's the one who said, why don't you just write a novel? I'll Mm -hmm. publish it, and we'll see what happens. And that's what happened. So really, Al Tudor at West Street Books got everything started. Yeah. Then Eric Beebe took that one over at uh, Postmortem Press. I wrote the first Western, Coryville, um, because I was tired of working on the manuscript for one of the Jasmine's – I'm sorry – the West, the uh, witchcraft detective series is the Jasmine and Sam Chronicles. I was uh, Jasmine, tired. Jasmine yeah. and Sam. That's Jasmine a good name. Which came to me in a dream, by the way. Did it? Yeah. <laughs> Does yeah. that usually happen? A lot. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I woke up one morning and just couldn't get back to the same manuscript I'd been working on the night before. So I got up and started writing a Western. Mm. And it turned into Coryville which has opened the door for these Western scripts. You were just you were just sick of what you were working on, just woke up and was like, you know I, what, I'm going to write a Western. The reason I stopped writing the night before was because I was really stuck on something. I was, you know, I'm typing and I'm saying, why are these people doing this? This mm-hmm. doesn't make any yeah. sense. They weren't doing what I wanted them to do, mm-hmm. which they don't always. So I went to bed and I woke up the next morning. I remember it very vividly and I thought, I'm... I won't say what I actually thought, but that. But then it went into, uh, I'm going to write a Western out of nowhere. And I got up. And, and Westerns weren't like a thing for you no. really well, before? I've always loved Westerns. Yeah, sure. Okay. I've always loved Westerns. So I was punching out a Western escape mechanism from the urban fantasy. And it ended up being done before the manuscript I was working yeah. on. Yeah. So there was kind of like a, a heartbeat going on for you with this kind of a thing. Yeah. What do you think about Westerns in general? What do you like about them? I like everything. About yeah. them. Of course. <laughs> Except for the unfortunate horse noises. <laughs> uh, the, or the mud sometimes. Or the mud. Uh, I mean, they're all really morality tales. Mm-hmm. This film we're talking about today is Dead Husband in a Western Town. It's a murder mystery in the mm-hmm. Old West. There's not a lot of shoot 'em up going on in it. It became Western World when it got picked up in L.A. Mm-hmm. It went out. To, it went to L.A. You know, it started out as a short story, first of all, called A Dead Husband in a Western Town. Mm-hmm. We started shooting it as a short. Uh, Who's we? Who's part of your production I'm sorry, team on this? Uh, Lana Reed of Garnet Films mm-hmm. started shooting it. And uh, then she decided it needed to be a feature. So if you see writing problems in the film, it's because I added an hour to it, mm-hmm. you know, to a story that already had a beginning, middle, and end. Um, I bet that was And hard. it was still, yeah. oh, it was terrible. I've taken away from stories before, but I haven't added. I added mean, I to basically, them. it went from 20 minutes to an hour. And 20 oh, you know, I did notice as I was reading the script because there's that opening scene yeah. where the, uh, when, when, the guy, when the guy first shows up into town and he goes to the hotel and there's a lot of business happening. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, as you're first writing, when you're first starting to write something, you're giving a lot of descriptions of people when you introduce, the, introduce these new characters, how tall they are, what they look like, what mm-hmm. kind of attitude they're in. And then I remember about 20, 30 odd <laughs> pages in, 
there were some other descriptions of characters that we had already met that were like we were meeting him for the first time, and I yeah. thought, oh, this has been edited a couple times. Oh, this has been than, added on to more than edited, rewritten. Yeah, rewritten. Um, but it was still a dead husband in Western town. I have mm-hmm. posters, and there are trailers yeah. still on the internet. Dead husband in Western town. It goes out to L.A. to uh, Ruthless Studios and came back Western World. What's uh, that like as a writer when you've written something and you've come up with a title for it and you and even going from a short in, and, and having to right. beef it out and stretch it out into a feature and then it gets into other people's hands yeah. and then it comes back with, with a different wrapping or at least a different title and stuff. What's that like for you as the person who created it? I hated it uh, I, uh, initially. Yeah. Now, at this point, they've done pretty well with it, obviously, but uh, so, you know, obviously they know what they're doing. But, you know, to me, one title tells you what the story is and the other doesn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Well, plus two, calling it Western World is they're clearly trying to maybe Mm -hmm. draw a tie to the the Westworld stuff that's been on HBO and the old movie with Yul Brenner. Hard to picture it as a coincidence. Right, right. you know, I didn't have a say in that. Sure. Even Lana, the director, didn't have a say in it. So uh, they repackaged it mm-hmm. yeah. and made it uh, made it Western World. So did you guys have the feature fully shot before it went yeah. and they bought it? Oh, yeah. So they bought everything. They bought and it. And they could yeah. do what they want with it at that point. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And just for the record, this, this script doesn't have robots in it. No. Okay. <laughs> Actually, we should jump into the script okay. a little bit because if we're going to start talking about the script and the process of it, I just want to make sure that all of our listeners have gotcha. the background they That's need. That's a good call. Um, <clears throat> so we have a tagline for the script. Of course, we're talking about dead husband in a Western town. And our tagline is, he's the marshal you're looking for unless he's looking for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah. this story follows, um, well... Let's yeah. Let's talk about some plot points on it, and maybe some beat breakdowns or anything we have, and then we'll read a bit. So this is a small western town. Uh, there's a guy that shows up at a hotel, and with all sorts of business happening on the main street. There's the the, the town doctor who's in debt to the gambling people who drinks a lot. There's the sheriff who's trying to do the right thing. Uh, the mayor who seems a little bit shady. And all of a sudden, this guy... Juggling too many hats. He's like, I'm the treasurer. I'm the mayor. (laughs) That's right. There's some shady stuff going on with the mayor. Uh, And this guy shows up at a hotel room, and all of a sudden, the guy that owns the hotel comes running out of the street yelling, this guy's dead. Somebody just shot this guy dead. Somebody get the doctor. Get the doctor. Somebody shot Mrs. Tamari's husband. That's right. And they think they know who shot him. Right. Because it's very open and shut, Uh, which... And here's where the murder mystery comes in, you know, deciding if it was really him or not. Right. Which is determined by the U.S. Marshal. Who comes riding into town. He comes riding into town. Moses White. With no other purpose than to transport the prisoner they already have to Laramie for trial. But uh, he starts looking into it. And it start, And you mentioned the mayor's a little shady. As as the story goes on, you find out that the whole council is pretty shady. Right, that They've everybody's got, got another secrets, side. Even the sheriff. Right. Yeah. And, and the the U.S. Marshal that comes into town sort of pulls a twelve angry men on him. Exactly, he's a, he's a one smart <laughs> marshal and yeah. is able to work his way through just the logic of the crime scene and what evidence is there, and to actually find the truth. There are two marshals in it. His name is Moses White. By the end of the film, his partner Wade Loveless shows up too. I love that name. I have a crush on that character so badly. Wade Loveless? Yes. Wade Loveless. Is it just because of the name? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh-huh. those two characters, only those two characters are in the Coryville novel series. 
Yes. Really? Yes. Crossover. Crossover. <laughs> read the script. Down. Go read the novels. Right. That's really fun. And the town is the same town in 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 Western world is the same town uh, as this. All take place. This feels so special because what this is is that this town lives with you and these characters mm-hmm. live with you. And you're flipping them into these different mediums. They're existing right. in different planes. It is just like a crossover. Mm-hmm. Like if you have, um, you know, Bob's Burgers, who's the guy? And then what's he plays? Dexter? Oh, yeah, voice. John Benjamin. So when they do those voices as crossovers, Archer. Archer. Yeah, yes, yeah. not Dexter. That's totally different. Uh, that's my favorite crossover, Bob from Bob's Burgers. When they Burgers crossed over and, on that. See, yeah. those kinds of things are so amazing because the character's core exists outside of the world that you think you have for them. Well, remember, Dead Husband started out as a short story. So it made sense to me to use Mose, Moses White mm-hmm. in the short story from the novel. Now, uh, Wade didn't get introduced into it until it became a screenplay. And I yeah, because he sort of shows up late in the in exactly, the in the film. Exactly. So since the film, you know, basically tripled in time, mm-hmm. I thought, well, I'll bring Wade in. You know, yeah, because yeah. now we're in the Brian Dobbins cinematic universe. You are in my world, <laughs> which is a dangerous place yeah. to be. You never know who's going to make it. So we're going to read a short selection from the script, but before we do, Brian, I'd love it if you'd kind of set up what's going to happen in this scene, sure. as well as a little bit of who these characters are and their interactions. At this point, uh, Moses has determined that the original suspect, which was a young boy named Danny Holt, did not kill Mrs. Tamary's husband. Even though he was in the hotel room literally exactly. holding a gun. Oh, Framed. it was all set up. And uh, the, the, the murderer, murderess, dun, 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 dun. Uh, was Mrs. Allison Tamary. Allison makes her entrance. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Tamary killed her husband, but Mrs. Tamary is really a woman on the run named Lucy Silver. Mm-hmm. The reason they call her Lucy Silver is because in her barroom days, she carried a silver derringer stuck in her bodice. Mm. She's smart. Oh, she's smart. <laughs> she's smart, and she's wicked, and she's a good actress. And she, you know, she uh, she played the role. She Since she left the saloons, she has a short, as they say in the, in the story, a short but colorful history mm-hmm. of getting men to fall in love with her and then uh, taking their money. Listen, I just want to say that this sounds like this role was written for me. Yeah. <laughs> Frank and I have been referring to you as Black Widow for like weeks now. Right, right. <laughs> well, at this point in the script, uh, knowing that she has been busted, Lucy makes a desperate exca- uh, escape attempt. She takes the doctor, Dr. Moss hostage, allegedly hostage. He's mm-hmm. really in on it with her. Mm-hmm. But Moses being as smart as he is, has earlier pulled the uh, king bolt out of their buggy. Just in case. Just in case. And uh, so when they try to take off, you know, the horse, the buggy comes apart, the horse runs off without the buggy, and uh, Lucy is stuck. Basically a Western car accident. Basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you the, got the brake line. The Colt peacemaker she was holding has fallen, so Moses can take her in. Yeah. Okay. And that's where we're picking this that's up. That's where from. we're picking this up. Okay, so in this iteration, I, Allison West, will be playing the wicked and wonderful Lucy Silver. Jack is going to be playing the lawman here, Moses White. Yeah, I'm a cowboy, guys. Uh-huh. And Brian's <laughs> going to be reading our uh, stage directions, our action headings, etc. So, Brian, whenever you're ready. All right, here we go. 
They reach the buggy and find both passengers shaken but unhurt, as the carriage did not flip over. Sheriff Ramey helps the doctor from the buggy while Moses White holds his Schofield revolver on the dazed Lucy Silver. With his left hand, he retrieves her peacemaker from the floor of the buggy where it has fallen. She glances at Moses White and his Schofield. Then she snorts a little laugh, blows a lock of hair out of her face, and smiles straight ahead at the horse that is obediently returning to the buggy. She addresses Moses White without bothering to look at him. Did you rig my buggy, Marshal White? Yep. Lucy Silver shakes her head but keeps her wry smile. God, I hate you. Imagine so. You could only have done it before you came into Ramey's office. Yep. So you knew all along? I suspected, but I thought it played safe. Lucy Silver turns and squints at him. The errant lock of hair has fallen across her eyes again. One side of her mouth is still lifted in a half smile. So why'd you let all that go on in the office? Why not just call me out right away? Like I said, I only suspected that you were really Lucy Silver. Even if that turned out to be the case, as it did, I couldn't be certain that you did the actual shooting. I had to see how it played out. Turns out it was you on the run again with another fella's money. In a damn fine buggy. Yep, it is a damn fine buggy, Lucy. Now you'd best climb out of it. As Moses White helps Lucy Silver down from the buggy, his hand brushes her skirt up away from her thigh. Why, Marshal White, are you trying to see how far I'll go to negotiate my freedom? Pardon me, Lucy, my hand slipped. Sure it did, Marshal White. Or should I be calling you Moses, since we're becoming somewhat intimate now? Moses White laughs and shakes his head. <laughs> they told me you were humorous, Lucy. They weren't lying. Oh, I'm just a laugh a minute, Moses. You should keep me around to find out. A boom. Scene. Now, I feel obligated right away to point out that that business with the thigh and the hands yeah. and the supposed intimacy. Yeah. Moses White's a straight shooter, and Moses White ain't just putting his hand on some lady's leg because he feels like he can. That's correct, and I'm so glad you mentioned it. Let's yeah. get into uh, it. I need to, we don't want to impugn Moses White's dignity here. When Lucy first made her break, she grabbed a hold of the doctor and miraculously produced this peacemaker. Right. She said from a holster under her skirts. Now, in reality... These are big skirts, because exactly, this is a western sure. town. Skirts. Exactly. Yeah. skirts. In reality, the doctor, Doc Moss, who was in on this with her, slipped her the gun. Sneaky little. I know. <laughs> uh, but Weasel. That's they had to make person. it look as if he was a hostage, so mm-hmm. they would let them get away. Mm-hmm. Now, to... To check that, that bothered Moses, where you know, because he didn't see her get it from her skirt. Right, he didn't see any yeah, thighs or hoo haws right. or anything as she flipped this up exactly. to kind of slip it out. So it's he hoo-haws. casually, he you casually uh, took a little feel there to make sure there was no holes. Yeah. So just wanted to go. clear that up for the audience. I didn't want anybody to think anything untoward was right. going on. Well, Moses is a very, very witty character, kind of making sure that he knows the ins and outs of what's really going on here. He's Batman. He is Batman. He's Batman. <laughs> he knew ahead of time to yeah. disable the buggy. He, yeah. he, he, he worked it all out. He, he Western's greatest detective. He's been a U.S. Marshal for 20 years, him and his partner, Wade. So, so you've been writing this Moses character for a while in multiple things, right? Um, gosh, the Coryville novel. I'm, I'm terrible with time. That's that okay. This is just something. probably came out around uh, 2008. 
eight, maybe okay. two thousand nine. I'm not sure. I mean, that's kind of yeah. cool, right? To have to have this character that you get to kind of keep coming back to in sure. different iterations. You haven't gotten tired of him yet, right? Oh no. Uh, yeah, Moses and Wade are, are in two novels now that are already out, and they will be in the third one. Well, Moses. Well, I can't say too much. Yeah, don't. That. Yeah, don't. Yeah, don't. Don't, don't spoil burn your book, it. man. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that I, because I've read um, a few pieces of your writing now, um, just because I'm a lucky person, and that's been a bonus in my life, but one of the things that I love is your female characters, and I love this female baddie that you have here in the script. Do you do you write female bad guys often, or? Oh, yeah. Um, both, both series, both book series have uh, female goodies and female baddies. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, in the case of this Western series, and particularly this film, uh, people, you know, you do a lot of research for these things, and people don't realize what a big role women played in the West. Um, there are there were whole towns that were funded basically by the madam who ran the local house. Oh wow! Okay, there was a, a famous one who, you know, she had a church built and a school built, and they were very, very pivotal uh, back then. Very wealthy, very community-minded. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, when, a, when a new town sprang up, typically the first things that would show up would be a saloon and a store and a brothel. Mm-hmm. And uh, everything else kind of came up around those. Mm-hmm. So they were, they were very important. So what about making female bad guys then? you know, Because yeah. it would be really easy to make the female good people. Yeah, well... People are people. They're good and bad. There you go. It would be unrealistic to have only female good guys when, obviously, there would also be female bad guys. Mm-hmm. And in this case, I just like the character of Lucy Silver. I liked her history. Um, she was a smart woman who did the best she could with what she had. Mm-hmm. Did you base her on anybody you know in real life? Uh, you know, I think every writer will say that everybody they write is, you know, if not based on somebody they knew, based on something, obviously. A lot of the people I write are combinations of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's about as close as I can get to it. It's not always a conscious. I mean, because sometimes, you know, you'll be writing. And you don't even know. You'll find the, the thing taking off in a different direction. Mm-hmm. You know, the characters. Mm-hmm. That's when you know you have good characters is when they start doing things that you don't expect, mm-hmm. and you're typing, you're going, oh, wow, look what they're doing. <laughs> uh, if it works for the story, I go with it. If it doesn't, obviously, I shut it down. But uh, in the case, Lucy Silver's a good example. She, her character developed as I was writing. So, Okay. What role did she have in the short version of it, the short story version of it? Same role. Yeah, same thing. So same. this has been basically the through line since the beginning. It has. Yeah. Right. Huh. Uh, is basically the same. I just had to add a lot of uh, dialogue and action to mm-hmm. it to turn yeah. it into a feature. Because remember, it was was going to be a short. Right. So. And when you made it into a feature, what did you do in terms of, like, story structure to really beef it up? It's challenging. Yeah. Very challenging. As I said earlier, it already had a beginning, a middle, and an end. Suddenly it didn't. So uh, the challenge was to put in all this extra stuff while keeping the integrity of the story. Right. When I watch the movie, you know, I I see the breaking points like like you did. 
uh, you know, I, I can see where I patchworked it together. Mm. You know, yeah, but, but it's not obvious. It's just like if you're reading the descriptions yeah. and, you know, introducing the mayor as some portly fella, like, oh, I remember that was in yeah. like 10 pages earlier. Okay, this has been added on to. Hopefully, it's not as apparent to everyone else as yeah, it is to me. I can't imagine <laughs> so, that it is. All right. When you're, uh, let me ask you in terms of, again, going from the short story and yeah. then adapting it into a feature and then actually writing for a screenplay in general, westerns are such visual uh, it's, it's such a visual genre. When you're writing it and adapting it into more of a feature, are you are there certain shots and like vistas and that sort of thing that you have in your head as you're writing? Everything I write is like a movie in my head. Okay. Whether it's whether it's intended to be a screenplay or not, and I think that's why I've had several people look at my books, both series, mm-hmm. the Jasmine Sam Chronicles and the Coryville series, and say, you know. Yeah, you're writing this like a movie because I'm I'm a very concise. My books aren't long. It's basically, you know, dialogue, action, move ahead. And so I, I picture all of it as action in my head. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it adapts pretty readily to a screenplay. Well, that makes sense with the, with your, you know, the childhood doing the comic books and everything. Exactly. You've got the visual sort of wired in already. Yeah, you're exactly right. And you know, it's interesting too, because you mentioned like dialogue, action, move ahead, dialogue, action, move ahead. And one of the things that's really unique about this script from other ones we've read so far is that it exists in a lot of dialogue Mm -hmm. where the world that's created, and I think this happens a lot in Westerns where there's just groups of people coming together and they discuss a couple of things. How is it for you writing that kind of talking setting, but making sure to build action in so that things flip forward? Well, basically, you just have to remember, you know, Books are tell it and movies are show it. Mm-hmm. So the dialogue has to be a little more concise, but a little more pointed, but get the same idea across. And, you know, it's got to be interesting. It's got to be colorful. That's the one thing the two different genres, you know, the two different styles of writing have in common. Whether it's books or movies, the dialogue that is there has to be interesting or you lose it. I mean, I've seen some terrific, I, we all have, terrific monologues and dialogues in movies you know some of them are longer than you think they are because they're so interesting right you know you forget how long they're talking right obviously in an action if this was a typical western which would be an action film there it would be less talky but this as i said is basically a murder mystery right yeah. Which was that on purpose because I, when I was read as I was reading this and knowing that it's a Western and everything, and that's it's that's a genre that's been around for so long. When you were approaching this and even in writing your other Western, the, the novels and everything, is do you get the kind of feeling where it's like it's all sort of been done before when it comes to Westerns and you wanted to try to find a new take on it? Which I didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, we just got into the U.K. market and I – a few days ago, I watched a video review by an English guy. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's a low-budget Western. He mentioned that, you know. And there were some issues that he mentioned. But what he really liked was it wasn't like other Westerns. He liked that it was a murder mystery. Perfect. Um, and if you catch that, if you, if you pick up on that, this is the Western for you. If you're just looking for shootouts from beginning to end, you probably won't like it. Yeah. Although we Quite do frankly. have a few sh- oh, like, yeah. shootouts in there. Yeah, there's uh, two or three shootouts. Yeah. Well, a then... couple of killings. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you got you to have that. A couple of good old killings. Sure. Get them know. in there. I mean, it is a Western. It's Somebody, fantasy. Somebody's got to get shot. Well, obviously, you're starting out with a dead husband. Right. Right. right? Yeah. 
uh, which is shown in flashback. So you do see that action. Well, and I love too because um, in terms of like dialogue and action, the story comes up as like this little. It starts as this very nicely wrapped little package Mm -hmm. and then it gets unfolded and unfolded and unfolded and Mm -hmm. And then it unfolds again and again and again and so you really do dive into this world and get all the edges of it because you take your time just slowly unfolding everything there and and one of the reasons that worked is because of all those dirty little secrets that the rest of the townspeople have yeah that uh just inadvertently come out in the solving of the you know, I feel like a lot of these characters, too, and their secrets, these are like a lot of um, standard archetypes for Western worlds. Yes. And um, I wanted to know like how what you think about archetypes and stereotypes in this type of world. You know, there's there are reasons that these stereotypes are in these stories, which, and the reason is quite simply is because they existed in real life. There were mayors, there were doctors, there were marshals, mm-hmm. there were saloon girls. To write a Western that didn't include what are now stereotypes yeah. wouldn't be historically accurate. I'm really a stickler on uh, historically accurate. I mean, from from the people involved to the firearms to, you know, I researched indoor plumbing to see if the hotel mm-hmm. could have indoor plumbing. You did? Oh, yeah. Um <laughs> Toilets. Uh, <laughs> my, my, what I write is, well, and one reason is because, you know, Western genre or my witchcraft history is, my, my witchcraft story is a historical story. It mm-hmm. goes back centuries. People who are into genres will very quickly see mistakes like that. I saw, I was watching a Western uh, the other day when this is a big budget Western. Somebody got paid a lot of money to make sure this type of thing didn't happen. But there was a, a Texas Ranger in 1849 loading an 1847 model Walker Colt with cartridges. <laughs> no. It was, a, it was a black powder cap and ball pistol. Yeah. Uh, they were converted much later, 20 years later, to, into cartridges but he would not have been putting those cartridges in that gun at that time mm. and if you're into the and if you're into the to this to the world and the way this sort of stuff is written exactly. that sort of thing takes you right out of it glaring you yeah. know and it's kind of a close-up while he's talking it's it's almost like the movie you was saying hey look what we're doing wrong <laughs> uh, you know? and if i caught that every firearm aficionado every western aficionado will also catch that right well, you know, it's beautiful because then you see how much care and time you're taking setting up the story right. from the beginning, which is a lot of times, in my opinion, what makes a good movie is, of course, good writers. People who really do the research to get things pinpoint exact the way that they need to be so that you can't poke holes in the story because it's so good. Yeah, because, you know, the whole idea is that you be- the, the viewer or the reader believes this. Mm-hmm. And if you do something... You, you, obviously, you're suspending disbelief to a certain degree, but when they see something that's just literally incorrect, right? Uh, you know, gosh, I hate to say this, but I just watched uh, the Maltese Falcon the other day. Mm-hmm. Going back to guns, they referred to uh, they referred to a Webley revolver as an automatic, and then later they implied that a uh, an automatic was a revolver, uh, and I. I've seen that movie a million times and didn't catch it, but hmm. I did that time. I Makes did your heart just cry a little bit. Yeah, for them. I was like, God, I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Don't disappoint me, movie. Yeah, 
Yeah, they. Uh, it was a Luger. They they implied was a revolver. Obviously, a Luger is not a revolver. And right. Webley is not an automatic. Mm-hmm. But where do you think? So it's it sounds like you have to do a lot of research for these types of things. Luckily, I love research. That's what I was going to ask. Like, where does this come from for you? Have you always loved really reading and diving into stuff and yeah. Yeah. get kind of obsessive about it? Tom Clancy, when he was asked uh, what the difference was between real life and fiction, he said uh, fiction has to make sense. That's actually a really good answer. That's amazing. That's a really good so, answer. Yeah. And that's where these little details come in. Yes, suspend belief to believe, you know, that all this is happening, you know, uh, particularly with the other series when there's witchcraft and all these, you know, all these uh, mythological creatures are coming to life. But when it comes to the real world stuff, you know, like what road they're driving on or, you know, how they're dressed, what they're eating, uh, that's when details matter, and that's where research comes in. It's pretty mm-hmm. constant process. Mm-hmm. When I wrote articles, I had to research what was assigned to me. I had to research household mold once, and I promise you, mm. nothing makes household mold interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, not yet. I try. You're a writer, man. You'll figure something out. I wrote an article about household mold because it was assigned to me. I don't know. I, uh, nobody ever got back with me and said, wow, that was interesting. Here's your award yeah. <laughs> for the but, riveting article. Right. But when you're, when you're researching something you really like, like in my case, Westerns or all this ancient history, uh, depending on which series you're talking about, well, then it's cool. you know. And, and, and you'll find amazing things by accident. You can be looking for one thing. This has happened to me multiple times. We don't have enough time for me to tell you the ones I'm thinking of. And you find something else, and you go, I couldn't have made that up. That's going in the story, you know. That's happened to me multiple times. Yeah, those are those little those strokes of moment. When oh. Those meet Jean- yeah. Oh, man. I mean, just it falls into your lap like yeah. that, and you're going, holy cow, I'm using this. So, Whenever yeah. you guys are, because it sounds like you've worked, this, of course, you were involved with during production, and then you're working on a couple of other projects, too. But um, do you look for certain things in casting for these types of genre-specific roles? Well, like we said earlier, I do write with, actually, whether it's a novel or a screenplay. So, yeah, I do picture the characters mm-hmm. physically. I see them. In terms of, like, general looks or are you thinking, like, specific Sometimes people? it gets very specific. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I've got one villain uh, that I've written. And for some reason, I was picturing the actor Ray Winstone mm-hmm. doing being that person, you know. So now, you know, whenever this one gets done, I'm going to have to try to get Ray Winstone. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Start writing some letters. Right, right. So uh, sometimes that happens. But then more often, it's just this person I don't know or I've never seen before, but I can really see them. I can, I can mm-hmm. really Do you think, them. like, it's an essence or a quality of an actor? And so if someone walks Very in the much. room, you can be like, I, yeah. that's... That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Now, a lot of that, though, is determined more by how they read than what they look like. Yeah. You know, if they can be the character I pictured, if they read it the way I heard it. Yeah. Very often when I'm writing, I'll sit back and I'll, if anybody's listening outside my door, they're going to think I'm crazy because I'll be, you know, I'll say the lines out loud uh, to hear what they sound like, Mm -hmm. not just in my head, but, and I very often change them. Mm -hmm. So if someone walks in the room, even if they don't look as I pictured them, but they sound like I heard them, yeah, 
that's a big plus. That there's a connection yeah. there. There's been a couple of times, too, where somebody has, uh, well, Wade Loveless in the in the movie Western World. My boyfriend, Wade. Allison's boyfriend, yeah. Wade Loveless, yeah. yes. He's My imaginary by... <laughs> boyfriend, too. That's so sad. <laughs> He's played by an actor named Brian Spangler. Now, he didn't play Wade. Writing that down. As I pictured him. He didn't play him at all like I pictured him, but I liked the way he played him. Okay. So it still worked. I mean, that's a piece of freedom that you sort of have to give up as a sure, writer, right? Sure, Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's so many things I have no say about. Right. Yeah. What, what is your involvement in terms of production on a lot of these things? Um, well, as you know, uh, casting, writing, uh, authenticity, that type of thing. So uh, basically as a resource after something kind correct. of gets picked up by a producer yeah. or a and, director. And that's not always true as a writer. Sometimes they just, you know, they, they take the script from you and you're out completely. Right. Yeah. But uh, Lana likes having the writer around because there's always rewrites. What better person to, who's better to do those than the writer? That's cool. And I think, uh, you know, we were talking about how industries change. I think I'm seeing that more and more uh, that writers are on set now. I don't know how prevalent it is, but uh, I know it happens. Does, yeah. Does that mean more? I mean, does that mean more? Is that more lucrative for you than keeping you around longer? I don't know yet. Okay. <laughs> we'll find out. Okay. <laughs> but I could see that being so valuable because when when work is being performed by actors, there's something very current and very living about what comes out of an actor as they're working with another actor. Mm -hmm. Things that you can't determine, which is why when I direct, we do rehearsal days. And a lot of times I'll build shots out of what happens in rehearsal, if I have the time, because you cannot anticipate what's going to come out of the electricity between two people. So having the writer, the source, there on set, watching that happen, and then really continuing to develop that reality Mm -hmm. is almost the same as like having your characters do whatever they want as you're writing them initially. I, I can't see how it couldn't be a plus, an asset. Yeah, sure. But not every director wants that. Not every producer wants that. So. Right. It, it In your case, it comes down to the relationship you have mm-hmm. with this director. Correct. Right. Which relationships are the things that make the world go round. Absolutely. I knew something did. <laughs> <laughs> so um, do you want to talk about anything that you're working on currently or what you might have going on next? Uh, besides a couple of novels that are overdue, uh, each series right now. Kind of do a sequel. <laughs> yeah. So I've got to get to those eventually. Uh, but right now, uh, I'm well, right now we're working the same crew. Uh, Garnet Films is, we're working on a, uh, a pilot for a Western TV series. Oh, based uh, on this or something different? I, you know, I'm, I'm not allowed right now. Okay. Uh, but uh, that's what we're working on right now. Mm-hmm. So there's more Western stories that, uh, that are yep. in you. Yep. And then uh, hopefully next year. The, the pilot we're working on is already scheduled to be shot in early in uh, 2018. I, we're hoping that by the end of 2018, we're shooting the first Western novel, Coryville. Ooh. Oh, cool. And, and so Moses and Wade would be back. Awesome. Wonderful. We're hoping, yes. So if somebody wanted to read some of your novels, yeah. what's you know could they just pick them up at the library or order them on Amazon? Um, or? Most of them are in the library uh, if you want to borrow them. Uh, Amazon's a great bookstore yeah you know yeah uh, yeah that's quick it's easy you put in my name mm-hmm. brian dobbins in well first you go to books put <laughs> right. in my name well first yes. you got to get on a computer right. that's plugged in and the way amazon <laughs> <laughs> the way amazon works it is you have an author page 
gives you a little of my history and links to all the books. Okay. It's perfect. Yeah. So you can look up Brian Dobbins on Amazon or probably just Google, yep. figure out what this hunk looks like. But well, you, get his you books. don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tall and handsome and young and slim. And do you have a website or something that anybody yeah. could get to I, if they wanted to you see? You know, I don't anymore because yeah. I was getting more action on Amazon and Facebook and other social medias. I dropped the website. Yeah. So know? do you welcome people to find you on Facebook if Absolutely. they're interested? Okay. Absolutely. We always just want to make sure that if someone's interested in your work that they can get a hold of you. Yeah. Uh, you know? I've, I've got two pages on Facebook, my <laughs> own page. Brian Dobbins, obviously. Yeah. And then my author page, which is appropriately called Brian Dobbins Picks Stuff Up. <laughs> mm, perfect. Right. As a writer, I basically do two things. I, I make stuff up and I steal stuff. Yeah. Well, and you so. know what what Tom Clancy said, the frustrating thing about that Facebook page for the Make Stuff Up is it has to make sense. It has to make sense. <laughs> Your regular Facebook page can just be chaos. Yeah. yeah, I'm not a huge Tom Clancy fan. He's a great writer. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he did say that. That's such a great, I love that yeah. answer. I've got two other great quotes, if I may. Please. Lay them on us. Two of my favorite writers. Jack London, and this is a very Jack London thing to say, was, uh, you can't wait for inspiration. You have to go after it with a club. Ooh, that is very Jack London. Because writers always say, I'm just not inspired right now. But, you know, if that's your job, you got to write. Yeah. And so I love that quote. Plus, I love Jack London. And then, of course, course, Ernest Hemingway's quote, uh, write drunk, edit sober. I knew it was going to have alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> so, which I apply to. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been wonderful having you here today, going Thanks. through all of this about your work, about it's your been life. Fantastic. You guys read great, by the way. Oh, oh, what great voice. Oh, Brian. What oh, great voice you have. You flatterer. <laughs> thank you, Brian, very much. And thank we will you. have uh, information for people to get a hold of you. Okay. We'll have that on scriptshopshow.com. And uh, yeah, please look for Brian Dobbins on Facebook. And uh, if you want to get a hold of him, we should be able to make that happen for you as well if you contact us. I love what you're doing here. This is this is a great concept. And you guys are outstanding. We love that. I mean, oh, okay. I've yeah. I've been interviewed more than a few times now, and this has been really enjoyable. Thank oh, you. I love, Thanks, man. I love your whole structure and, Thanks. and concept. Well, mm-hmm. We appreciate it because, I mean, Jack I'm and I I'm flattered that you would have me. Oh, man. It's, we're so glad you're here. Yeah. And, you know, for all the feelskies here, like, we're obsessed with scripts. Mm-hmm. We're obsessed yeah. with storytelling. Jack reviews theater. I do film and theater. We're right. all into this You're kind of in thing. the biz. I just want to remind you guys that if you like what we're doing and you want to be involved too, you can please, please, please send your scripts into scriptshopshow.com. We've got all the information you need up there about how to get a hold of us and send us your scripts. We basically read them, talk about them, schedule them, and then have you on the show. And so, then we talk about them more. Yeah. So, and, you and know. they'll talk about you when you're gone. Too. <laughs> <laughs> we Probably. do, but it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, remember to like us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We love interacting with you on there. Yes, please. Look up Script Shop Show. Give us, please, a ratings and iTunes and a review. And then if you are on the show, tell your mom and your dad and your brothers and your sisters and your aunts and your uncles and your grandparents to leave us reviews, too, because we love it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, especially if your grandparents want to leave us a review. That would be killer. (laughs) Jack's so dreamy. (laughs) No, seriously. He is kind of dreamy. Well, I'm okay. (laughs) Everybody, thank you very much. Uh, Brian, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. And I think uh, we will talk to you next time. Until next week, that's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West.
Hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley. Produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for